little boy was overheard over the back fence one day and he walked out into the middle of his backyard and he had a baseball bat and ball. He called out, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw it up in the air and he took an almighty swing and he missed completely. Strike one, he yelled out. He picked up the ball and looked around. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw it up and he gave it an even bigger swing and he missed again. Strike two, he yelled. Not undaunted yet, he picked it up again. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw it up and he swung and he gave it everything, almost throwing himself off balance. And he missed. Strike three. And he looked around and he got a little bit. His shoulders drooped. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. (laughs) Before Christmas, uh, Les asked me if I would speak, and when I asked him if there was a topic, he said no, but it is Australia Day. And so I wasn't quite sure whether that was a hint or just something to keep in mind. But then it got me thinking, and I thought, actually, Australia Day is something that I could really get a hold of. Just the term Australia Day, for us, conjures up images about our national identity, who we see ourselves as being as Australians. So whenever I think of Australia Day, I immediately get the image of that Aussie bloke in his singlet and shorts and thongs, with tongs in one hand and a drink in the other, waving flies away and turning another lamb chop on the barbie. You know. Strangely enough, I don't think I actually know anyone who fits that But it's something that just the term Australia Day conjures up in our minds what it means to be Australian and something of that identity of being Australian. And so what we do is we use words to define who we are. Sometimes it's as a national identity, like being Australian. I'm an Australian. But we also use lots of other words and terms that also define who we are. Sometimes we use things like our job, Uh, I'm a policeman, or I'm a teacher. And just when, if you didn't know me and we were getting to know each other and I said, I'm a teacher, immediately the image that you have in your teacher creates some sort of idea about who I see myself as being or how I create that world of who I am. Sometimes we use other terms to define who we are. Sometimes we can take pride in it sometimes not. Well, you can also use terms that identify who we belong to. I'm the club president. Uh, Sometimes it might be I'm a Holden man or I'm a Ford man or a Jag man. (laughs) Sometimes we define who we are by what we're worth. I'm worthwhile because I'm tough. Or I'm wise or I'm a high achiever. Or I'm worthwhile because I'm the captain of the football team. So what I'm trying to do is just create for you a way that we use words and terms that identify who we are. Let me tell you two stories. A number of years ago, a boy was sent to my office to have a bit of a conversation because he was just not doing any work. His interest in school was completely flat and he had no interest in trying. So we sat and we talked and and we had a nice, you know, Lots of things about home and what home is like and what mum's like and dad's like and how, what school is like. And after a while, I came around to it and I said, well, when was the first time you recall 
not really caring or giving any sort of thought about your effort that you put into your education. He said, oh, that would probably be grade three. And for teachers, I know this is a touchy subject, but in grade three, he said, my teacher told me that I would never amount to anything. So when a person grows up with that term, I'll never amount to anything in your mind, you can imagine what sort of impact that has on his level of effort. And so in his mind, he had created an identity about who he was. I am never amount to anything. Another girl a few years later, a year eight girl, uh, she was in the corridor where we send the naughty kids. Uh, and uh, she uh, was absolutely livid. She thought that she'd been sent out for all the wrong reasons. She thought her teacher hated her and she was just fuming. And I had to hang up some posters. So I said, well, look, why don't you come and hang up posters with me? So she came along and she actually quite enjoyed it and really got into it. But during the, the walk around and hanging up posters, we started talking about life and, and whatever else. And I got around to talking about what life was like at home and what mum was like. And during the conversation, I can't remember exactly how it came up, but she said, oh, Mike, at least once a week, Mum would tell me that I was an accident and that she was never intended to have me and that she didn't really want me. So in her mind as she grew up, she was a, an accident and unwanted. These were the images that she had, the words that she used to define who she was. So it's easy for us to grow up, especially in our teenage years, to create words and terms and frames of reference that create our sense of who we are. And it's really easy to get a distorted image of who we are. The more common ones that I come across is I'm ugly, I'm not smart, I'll never be good at, and you can fill in anything, uh, I'm a warrior, I'm fake, I'm a loser, I'm not good enough, and I'm a failure. That's probably the one that I come across most of all when talking to adults. And I've got to be a little bit real with you because a lot of you know me as somebody who's quite outgoing and quite confident, but I wasn't always this way. When I was 19, I was so scared of people that at a Christmas carols when my candle blew out, I couldn't get the courage to lean over to the people next to me and ask if they would light my candle for me. Through my 20s, I went for about six years with an upset stomach. I was, I, I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome because I had so much anxiety that my stomach was always upset. So when I say, in my mind, what was going on for me was a constant fear that I wasn't good enough and that I was going to embarrass myself somehow. So I just want to take a moment, because for some of the people seeing these up here might actually be touching a bit of a raw nerve. And I'm real, I realise that these are things that are really common to people's human experience. So I just want to take a moment that if this is something for you, I re recognise how hard it can be and how much that these can di I um, define who we are. It's not easy. And after having a lifetime of being told some of these things, it's extraordinarily difficult to break the mindset. What I want to do, though, and what I want to focus on, is that it's easy to find a distorted identity. 
that the identity that you've created about who you are is not necessarily true. What I want to talk about is who God says you are. And if we actually stop and take a moment to go through the scriptures, there's probably, I could come up with about 20, maybe even 30 different verses that talk about who God sees us as being. But I've focused on six, so if you'll bear with me. Who does God say we are? This verse, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And I want to particularly hone in on two things. We are God's workmanship and created to do good works. Now, when we talk about God's workmanship, it's something that we can easily gloss over. But when we really stop and think about it, how good is God's workmanship? God doesn't make bad things. He doesn't get it wrong. So when we talk about who you are, God hasn't got it wrong. He hasn't got, made a mistake. I remember a comedian a few years ago saying, well, I think when I was younger, I thought God was up there making people. And he said, well, today I'll add a bit of this and a bit of this. Oh, gross. <laughs> As if to say, you know, God experiments and sometimes he gets it wrong. But God doesn't get it wrong. This is an image of a little plaque that goes on the engine of a, an Aston Martin. Every Aston Martin has a little plaque put on it that uh, is signed by the person who made the engine. So Stuart Bull, whoever he is, was so proud of the engine that he had built, his workmanship, that he got to put a plaque on there. Now, we can debate to no end about uh, Aston Martin's build quality, but he was proud of his workmanship, so much so that they put a plaque on it. So what I want to do is just highlight the fact that if we're building a, an identity about who God says you are, you are his workmanship and he has not got it wrong. Ephesians 1 verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the Holy Spirit, who is, depo is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The last thing that Porsche do to a car before it goes out of the manufacturing plant to be sold is that they put their plaque or their seal, their badge on the bonnet of the car. It's kept in a locked cupboard that one person has access to and right before the car leaves the manufacturing plant, they put their seal of approval on that car. Porsche are very proud of the cars that they build. But when we talk about who you are, what seal has God put on you? It's not a little badge that has a horse and some stripes. The badge that he's put on you is the Holy Spirit as a mark that you are his. And he's proud of that. Two Corinthians two verse fifteen, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we're the aroma that brings death; to the other, an aroma that brings life. Have you ever stopped to think of yourself as a pleasing aroma to God? Have you ever stopped to think of yourself as smelling like Jesus? It's a bit of a strange concept to get your head around. But when I first read this verse, I had this mental image of God being up in heaven 
looking down over the earth going, oh, there's one of mine. Oh, there's another one of mine. Because we smell like Jesus. (laughs) To God, we smell like Jesus. Now, probably not in a physical smell, but you get the meaning. (laughs) Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember a movie a few years ago called Double Jeopardy, which I think creates a picture of what this is about. The idea of double jeopardy in law is the idea that once you've been tried of a crime, you cannot be tried for that crime again. And if we look at our lives in terms of how we are in our position with God, we have been tried, we have been convicted, the price has been paid, and now you cannot be tried again for that crime. And I'm not necessarily talking about things that we do because there's the law of of Australia which will try you for doing the wrong thing. But I'm talking in terms of a spiritual trial that before God, the way we're positioned, and if you were to look at who you are in Christ, you've been justified. There is nothing that can be brought against you now. Ah, there we go. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate you, separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, and for a long time, I've sort of had a bit of a difficulty with this verse because I get the meaning of it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But I had trouble relating to angels or demons separating me from the love of God, the present or the future, or height nor depth. I'm not sure how height nor depth can separate me from the love of God. I had trouble relating to it. So if you'll give me a little bit of license, I was wondering if we were to actually rewrite that in something of more of today's vernacular or today's words that we use, neither good in relationships nor bad relationships, neither good crops nor bad crops, nor any failed job applications, neither forgetting the words to a song nor messing up a sermon, nor anything anyone can say about you in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing. I, I, I struggle to get my head around that. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. This particular verse I've struggled with over the years because the way it was explained to me, I had trouble with because when I said it about myself, I almost felt a little bit heretical. 1 Peter 1 verses 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. If I gave, took you to a hardware store and I said, go in and buy whichever drill you wanted, you can go in and pick whatever drill and it's paid for. Which drill would you pick? 
Now, if it was me, I would pick one of the most expensive ones. <clears throat> but why? Because the price reflects the value or the worth of the drill. If I'm buying the most expensive one, theoretically, I'm buying the best one. Sometimes some drills are slightly overpriced. That's why I wouldn't necessarily go for the most expensive, but the price that you pay reflects the worth of the object. If I took you to a jewellery store and I said, go and pick any ring, diamond ring that you want, which one would you go for? Big. Big and usually the most expensive. But why? Because the value is reflected in the price paid. How much is the ring worth? Depends on how much you pay for it. So if I look at this verse and I go, how much are you worth? Depends on how much is paid for it. How much did God pay for you? He paid Jesus. How much are you worth? You're worth Jesus to God. What I struggle with is to say, I am worth a Jesus to God. It sounds wrong because Jesus is pretty special, but I'm worth a Jesus and you're worth a Jesus. So I hope you've stayed with me. You are his workmanship, only the best. God doesn't make bad things. His mark of approval, he's proud of who you are. He's proud of what he's made. You're an investment, a sure thing. He's put his Holy Spirit in you as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. Uh, you are a Christ-like smell. You smell like Jesus. You are justified and can't be convicted twice. You can't be separated from his love. You are worth a Jesus. That's a blank slide. If you had a really strong sense of who you now are in Christ, if throughout the rest of the day this really sank in for you, and overnight when you woke up the next morning, you had an overwhelming sense of being his workmanship, being worth a Jesus, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, that you are the cream of God's crop, how would you start to do things differently? How would you get up differently in the morning? How would you approach life? How would you approach challenges differently? If nothing can separate you from the love of God, and if you've got his mark of approval, then how does that change the way that you treat others differently? Because not only are you the mark marked with Jesus, but so are they. How would you treat yourself differently? Sometimes I think that when in light of who we really know we are in Christ, I think sometimes we need to give ourselves a bit of a break. So in wrapping up, I'd just like to say it might be that for a long time you've thought of yourself like the boy at the start of the story where you've been swinging hard and you've been missing. And it's easy to create a picture of being a failed batter. Maybe it's time to realize that you're actually the greatest hitter in the world. Let's pray. Father God, this is something that I've been really passionate about for a long time, and I know and I'm aware of how hard sometimes this is to hear, 
uh, and how hard it is to sink in, especially after years and years of being told the opposite. So, Lord, this morning I ask that this really cuts through all of those negative messages that have been taught, all of those bad ideas that we've created about who we are, and that these people this morning actually start to get a really good, strong image of how you see them. I ask, Lord, as they go out today, that they are able to go in the knowledge of who you see them as being. In Jesus' name, amen.